the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Join us now for a very special parenting series from Pastor Ron Arbaugh and the Word to Stand On for Life on AM 630, The Word. This is the Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the Word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The sheriff's office in a small Texas city distributed a list of rules titled How to Raise a Juvenile Delinquent in Your Own Family. Number one, begin with infancy to give the child everything he or she wants. This will ensure his believing that the world owes him a living. Number two, pick up everything he leaves lying around. This will teach him he can always throw off responsibility to others. Number three, take his side against authority, neighbors, teachers, policemen. They're all prejudiced against your child. He's a free spirit and never wrong. And finally, prepare yourself for a life of grief because that's what you're going to have. No, I didn't write that. A sheriff's office did. Let's look at contrast, and tonight's study is a lot about contrasts. Susanna Wesley, the mother of John and Charles Wesley, spent one hour each day praying for her 17 children. That doesn't mean she spent an hour on each child, obviously. In addition, she took each child aside for a full week, for a full hour rather, every week to discuss spiritual matters with him or with her. No wonder two of her sons, Charles and John, were used of God to bring blessing to all of England and to much of America. Here are a few rules she followed in training her children. One, subdue self-will in a child and thus work together with God to save his soul. Teach him to pray as soon as he can speak. Give him nothing he cries for and only what is good for him if he asks for it politely. Fourth, to prevent lying, punish no fault, which is freely confessed, but never allow a rebellious, sinful act to go unnoticed. Five, commend and reward good behavior. And six, strictly observe all the promises that you have made to your child. Two extremes. One sort of the figment of someone's imagination, the other a real-life lesson a lesson from a family that produced great fruit for the kingdom of God. You know, part of the problem is we we have a tendency as humans to go one direction 100 miles an hour or the other direction 100 miles an hour, and in the middle is just a whole lot of room. The Bible calls it balance. I'm a big fan of balance. Just this evening I was listening to Pastor's Perspective. It's a radio station I was listening online. It's Calvary Chapel in Southern California, K-Wave Radio's call-in Bible answer program. And Brian Broderson, who is a friend of mine, was on the radio. And one of the callers was a broken-hearted grandmother, a fairly young grandmother. And obviously her son and daughter-in-law had a young child. The child was only six months old. And her heart was broken. And the reason she called was because her daughter-in-law had brought 
her grandchild over and they began talking about how they were raising the child and mom, the new mom, was laying down some rules. You see, uh, mom, we're laying down uh, rules for our daughter. We're going to raise her this way and we're going to do this. And she was just kind of setting up the ground rules. And the grandmother's heart, the mother's heart began to break. And she would listen to her daughter-in-law and she thought, well, where are you getting this? And she named a book that I will probably, if I'm convinced that's what God wants me to do, mention the name of later in this study. She mentioned the name of a book and said that she and her husband had decided that this was the way the child was going to be raised. So the grandma, the mom and mother-in-law was asking, what am I supposed to do? I mean, I know I can pray, but, but, but it sounded cultish, it sounded legalistic, it sounded mean, and it sounded harsh. And the daughter-in-law's only response was, I can't believe you would even try to tell me how to raise my children. You have no input on this matter, she said. And grandma, not knowing what to do, didn't do anything, but she called and she got some counsel. And I think we've all been in that position where we see somebody doing something and, and, and that's way, way, way too far in one extreme. Or on the other extreme, we see people who aren't doing anything and it breaks our hearts. And yet the truth of the matter is it really isn't our business. But it is our business as parents to do all things as unto the Lord. It is our business as parents to raise our children God's way. Have you noticed, moms and dads, that when you had kids... Your life changed forever. You know, you thought it was going to be a lot of fun. Oh, great. I, I remember we wanted a boy so badly with the first child. Why? Because I need somebody to play catch with. Man, we're going to have a baby boy. We're going to go out and go play catch. He's going to be a great baseball player. And by the way, don't push baseball on your kids. If, and that was what I did. And they broke my heart by playing other things, you know. But I just wanted a playmate. I thought it would be cool to be a young dad, have a son, and we could go out and play ball together. But, but it didn't happen that way. We, we brought him home, and he cried at night, and he kept us awake, and he made messes, and he was very demanding. And I noticed at a very critical stage in our lives that all of our expenses went way up. And then I don't know what Paula was thinking. She had another one. <laughs> And it's all that times two, and some of you have had more, so you understand what I'm saying. Guys, your life changes forever when you have children. Now, having kids is a blessing, but it is also a responsibility. Your children, remember this, didn't ask to be born. In fact, at least I know it's true for many in this room. You prayed fervently and diligently. You asked God for these children, and he blessed you. He answered the prayer from your heart. And as he gave you these children, it becomes your responsibility to be good stewards for them. Once they were given life, it became not only your job and your responsibility, but, but your duty in life to raise them God's way. And necessarily it means sacrifice. It means you're going to lose sleep. It means your heart is going to be broken time and time again. It means your kids will cost a lot of money. And it means you won't get to do the things that you were able to do before you had children. Again, in short, it means a lot of sacrifice. It means discipline. Because, guys, when your kids are allowed to rebel against your authority, they will later rebel against God's authority. And when that happens, guys, when that happens, the kids you love are in very deep and troubled waters. This study is about the balance. Now, one word of warning before we begin. I'm going to say some things tonight that are contrary to the pop popular culture in which we live, as I did in our opening session last week. I'm going to say some things that you are going to, some of you are going to say, wait a minute, I just don't agree. I would only ask this. If you don't agree, seek God's heart and his word before disagreeing. You see, none of this series is going to matter to any of us if we don't establish at the beginning that none of us have a right to disagree with God. And so disagree with a solid biblical reason for doing so or change your mind and your heart and agree with God. Well, I'm going to say some things tonight that are controversial, I am sure. I am not going to say anything that is not consistent with God's word and with God's heart. Let me set a little bit of a table for you. You don't have time to look through all of these, but write down the Bible verses, and then you can go to them and look at them after the study. 
But, but I just, you'll, you'll see where I'm going here. Uh, Exodus chapter 26, verse 30. Moses was told to set up the tabernacle according to the plan shown you on the mountain. The key phrase being according to the plan shown you. Exodus chapter 27, verse 8. Make the altar hollow out of boards. It is to be made just as you were shown on the mountain. Numbers chapter 8, verse 4. This is how the lampstand was made. It was made of hammered gold from its base to its blossoms. The lampstand was made exactly like the pattern the Lord had shown Moses. Sometimes people say, well, you're getting all this stuff from the Old Testament, Hebrews chapter 8, verse 5. They serve at a sanctuary that is a copy and a shadow of what is in heaven. This is why Moses was warned when he was about to build the tabernacle. See to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. You say, well, that was a tabernacle, God's building. What does it have to do with us? And more to the point, what does it have to do with raising our children? 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9, For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1, Now we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, speaking clearly about our human bodies, an eternal house in heaven not built by human hands. Nothing I'm going to say tonight is new or original. Everything I say tonight and in subsequent studies will have a biblical foundation either specifically or principally. And everything I say tonight will require of the parent, the listener, at least in order to implement practically and successfully in your own homes, abiding in the vine that is Christ Jesus. In other words, walking in the power of the Spirit. None of us have it in us to be good parents. None of us have it in us to be consistent parents apart from abiding in Christ each and every day of our lives. It is our responsibility to be close to Jesus, to abide in Him, to get from Him His power to do the things that He asks us to do as parents. Now, a little bit more foundation. We've talked about doing it according to the pattern. What is God's pattern? The first thing to point out is that because people are different, so too are the specific things we do when raising kids. There are no two kids alike. There are no parents alike. There's no one formula fits all ways to raise kids. And that's why we look for principles in parenting rather than programs. Whenever someone tells you, I have the key, whenever a book promises, this is the only way to do it, you need to watch out. Be very, very careful because there are no formulas for raising children. There's no book in the Bible, unfortunately, with a chapter called 100 Easy Steps to Raising Perfect Kids. I wish there were. We wouldn't be having these discussions. But there are literally hundreds of principles to follow, and we begin tonight. Now, last week we spoke of the foundation verse for this entire series, and for raising all children. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6, Train a child in the way he should go, and when he is old he will not turn from it. I love the way the Living Bible translated. Teach a child to choose the right path. The key word choose, and when he is older he will remain upon it. Don't you like that? Teach the child what choices he should make. And remember, I told you last week that as parents, that's our job. Our job is to example Christ in our own lives. Our job is to teach children the things they need to know when it's time for them to make their own choice. Every one of us in this room who has a child, unfortunately that child is going to grow up. And when he or she grows up, they're going to be faced with choices every single day. And unless they love Jesus with all of their heart, moms and dads, unless you love Jesus with all of your heart, then they're not going to make the right choices. But if you teach a child to choose the right path, when he or she is older, they will remain upon it. Now, the very reason that there's no formula is because each person and each child must make those individual choices about what God's path for their life is. We begin then with this principle. Children, like adults, have many paths they can follow in life. And because there are so many paths, it is incumbent upon us as parents to be sure that we make the right choices for our child while they're on our watch. That's all we can do. While they're on our watch, we can train them in the way they should go. We can teach them the right choices to make. All kids 
even yours, when left alone, are going to choose the wrong path. All kids, as I told you last Wednesday night, all of them have flesh. And their flesh, and your flesh, and my flesh, it's all flesh, it's all stinks. And so your children left alone will make the wrong choices. You remember from our study last time, the job of a mom and dad was described as to show them, literally choke them into the narrow path, whichever is the right path, God's path for them to walk. And remember, you can't force your kids to make the right choices any more than I can force the adults in the church to make the choices to follow the Lord. But you can and you must make it as difficult as possible for them to make the wrong choices. Even if you raise responsible children who grow into responsible, productive adults, but if they don't know Jesus Christ, what have you done? My youngest son is, perhaps some of you know him, one of the nicest young men on this earth. He's just a nice kid. From the time he was a, a boy in elementary school, everybody wanted the best for him. Parents loved him. Uh, kids loved him. Uh, when he was going through junior high school and high school, all of the moms of girls tried to marry their daughters off to him. He's just one of those kids that people liked, and he's a nice, nice man. And I'm very, very proud of him, but he hasn't yet given his heart to Jesus Christ. And so what have I done? I believe he's a good citizen. But, but that's not what God is going to judge me on when I get to heaven. What did you do telling him about Jesus? Now, I can honestly say to you, from the day I got saved, it was all about Jesus all the time. But we've got to, as Christian parents, we've got to get rid of this theory that, well, as long as my kids are good kids, as long as they're, they're responsible adults, I've done my job. You haven't done your job until you've shown your kids who Jesus Christ really is. So we're going to apply all of these principles, all of these problems to the practical areas of our child's lives. Tonight's main topic is scheduling or routines. You can choose which term you like better. You can even use the word order. So order, routine, control, all of these things are very high on God's list of priorities. Now, why is that the case? Well, I think primarily it's the case because one thing that we all have trouble with is patience. Anybody here have a problem being patient? I don't want to wait five minutes for an answer to prayer. I don't want to wait for God's will to be worked out in my life. I don't want to wait for anything in life. I want what I want, and I want it now, and so do you, and so too do your children. The whole culture has been raised around that very principle. We hate the fact that before God can do something marvelous through us, he has to shape us and mold us and change us, even when it comes to being used by God. Lord, use me now. I remember getting saved, thinking, okay, now let's fill a stadium and I'll go preach. It didn't happen that way. We need to learn patience. Scheduling, routines, order, control, discipline, choose your word, helps train your children to be patient, and patience, as we know, creates all sorts of good things. Romans chapter 5, verse 3 says, we rejoice in our sufferings. Now, that's a spiritual statement to begin with. Here's why, because we know that suffering produces perseverance or patience, perseverance character, and character hope. Here again, I really like the way the Living Bible translates it. It says, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they're good for us. They help us learn to be patient. And patience develops strength of character in us and helps us trust God more each time we use it until, we find, until finally our hope and faith are strong and steady. So how can we learn patience? How can we help our children learn patience? The answer is by starting at the beginning. Now, I'm going to go all the way back to when you bring your child home from the hospital. When Paula first brought our, our, our oldest, Ronnie, home from the hospital, she was terrified. She thought she was going to hurt him, wreck him, ruin him. She couldn't believe that the nurses would entrust a human being to her care. And yet from the very beginning, when he got home, we realized that unless we put him on some sort of a schedule, we were going to be miserable. Things weren't going to work out. I don't know where, and I, I pray this doesn't offend any of you, but, but I don't know where the idea of on-demand feeding and on-demand 
hugging and and every time the child cries you got to go run and pick him up because oh we don't want our children to cry I don't know where any of that came from I do know it did not come from God's word you know the truth and it's a sad truth the truth is many of us even as Christian parents have dogs who behave better than our children do I remember when my puppy who turned out to be a hundred and ten pound monster first made a mess in the house. I'm kind of a clean freak, and I told, oh, this isn't going to work. We went and got a doggy door. Showed him the doggy door one time. He never went in the house again. And you know what? We were proud of that. We trained him because as he got bigger, it would have been a disaster to have a dog that wasn't trained. And yet the truth is, we don't spend that kind of time, nor do we make that kind of effort on training our children. Now, I'm not saying your children are pets. Please don't misunderstand. I'm not being insensitive. But the truth is that we need to pay more attention to training our children in the ways of the Lord than we do in training our pets to be lovable. An untrained two-year-old can be cute. Sometimes they're so cute. Some of the kids around here, bless their hearts, they're running around and you look at them, you want to get mad and they give you a look that's so cute, you just forget why you were mad. But at 5 and 7 and 10 and 12 and 14 and you can go on, it stops being cute, doesn't it? And yet so many of us have bought into the notion that, oh, if our kid's crying, you've got to go satisfy whatever the problem is. If our kid is hungry, you feed him on his schedule or her schedule. And that is not the way God would have us do it. They would eat if we allowed our children to eat whenever they wanted. They'd eat themselves nearly to death. In fact, many kids in the United States are doing that very thing. It's, it's a slow process. But they're doing that very thing. If we continued to do what they wanted, when they wanted, they would become demanding and bossy and spoiled, and it wouldn't take very long. As parents, we could never take them anywhere because they would embarrass us with their behavior and by the demands that they make. If our job is to train our kids, we need to start at the beginning. The principle is this. If you want to enjoy your babies, if you want to enjoy your children, get them on a schedule as soon as as possible. Start at the beginning. Eating, sleeping, later, even when they wake up in the morning, it's necessary for the parent to control the child and not for the child to control the parent. Have you found that babies are really good trainers? Man, if they cry and you come running, then you know what's going to happen? They're going to cry whenever they don't want to be where they are. And you're going to come running, you're going to rescue them pretty soon. It's going to be just as though they were whistling for a dog. Kids are very, very good trainers. Now, I I want to impress the importance of balance here. I'm not talking about letting a child cry when they're hurting or when they're sick or when they're teething or when they really need a parent to be there. Moms, dads, you know the difference in that cry. I want attention now and the cry when they need attention. You know the difference. But it will not kill them to let them cry. If you come and pick them up every time they're hungry, you're the one being trained. And never forget this principle with all children. It's their job to test limits. It's one of the things our flesh does. I say this all the time to to our children's ministry workers here, that, that kids push and they push and they push and they push and they don't stop pushing until the limits stop moving. You did it as a kid, I did it as a kid, and so too will your children. And once those limits stop moving, they sit down, they get comfortable, and they feel secure, and they feel safe. Should babies cry? In 1962, the famous pediatrician T. Barry Brazelton published a study of 80 normal babies to determine their crying patterns. At two weeks of age, babies cried about two hours per day. At six weeks of age, their crying increased to three hours per day, and by the time they reached three months, their crying decreased to about one hour per day. The point of his study is that crying is normal. Giving in to your newborns and later to your older kids is not loving. It is instead being indulgent. It's important that we train them, because later that training is going to come in handy when patience is required. 
Now, it's true, and I, I, again, I, I want us all to search for the balance in these studies. It's true that some children are difficult, some children provide special challenges, but it is also true that even those children must learn to be compliant, because that's what God's Word tells us to do. And it doesn't matter what some baby expert or some doctor or psychiatrist or psychologist tells us is best. What's important is, as Christians, do we embrace what God's Word says? Routines, guys, provide security and stability. They provide comfort for your baby and, again, later for your older children. And it's much easier to establish a routine from the beginning than it is when a child gets older. Alexander, poet, an English, Alexander Pope, rather, an English poet, said this, order is heaven's first law. And he was right. You remember when Moses led Israel in the wilderness, God established an order for everything. For tearing down, for setting up, for getting up and moving out, even for marching. There was order in everything. The books of Leviticus and Numbers go into minute detail regarding the order that God desires. In the New Testament, Paul establishes the priority of order in the carnal Corinthian church for the use of spiritual gifts, concluding in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 40, that everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. Everything done decently and in order, guys. That is God's way to live your life. That is God's way to raise your children. More of the parenting series with Pastor Ron Arbaugh of The Word to Stand On for Life coming up in two minutes on AM 630, The Word. Join us now for a very special parenting series from Pastor Ron Arbaugh and The Word to Stand On for Life on AM 630, The Word. Welcome back to The Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Should Babies Cry? In 1962, the famous pediatrician T. Barry Brazelton published a study of 80 normal babies to determine their crying patterns. At two weeks of age, babies cried about two hours per day. At six weeks of age, their crying increased to three hours per day, and by the time they reached three months, their crying decreased to about one hour per day. The point of his study is that crying is normal. Giving in to your newborns and later to your older kids is not loving. It is instead being indulgent. It's important that we train them, because later that training is going to come in handy when patience is required. Now, it's true, and I, I, again, I, I want us all to search for the balance in these studies. It's true that some children are difficult, some children provide special challenges, but it is also true that even those children must learn to be compliant. Because that's what God's Word tells us to do. And it doesn't matter what some baby expert or some doctor or psychiatrist or psychologist tells us is best. What's important is, as Christians, do we embrace what God's Word says? Routines, guys, provide security and stability. They provide comfort for your baby and, again, later for your older children. And it's much easier to establish a routine from the beginning than it is when a child gets older. Alexander, poet, an English, Alexander Pope, rather, an English poet, said this, order is heaven's first law. And he was right. You remember when Moses led Israel in the wilderness, God established an order for everything. For tearing down, for setting up, for getting up and moving out, even for marching. There was order in everything. The books of Leviticus and Numbers go into minute detail regarding the order that God desires. In the New Testament, Paul establishes the priority of order in the carnal Corinthian church for the use of spiritual gifts, concluding in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 40, that everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. Everything done decently in an order, guys. That is God's way to live your life. That is God's way to raise your children. Job chapter 25, verse 2. Dominion and awe belong to God. 
He establishes order in the heights of heaven. Proverbs chapter 28, verse 2, When a country is rebellious, it has many rulers, but a man of understanding and knowledge maintains order. That being so, isn't it obvious that this principle also applies to raising children? So let's talk about why it doesn't. Here's some of the difficult things to hear, but there are things as parents that we have to know we're responsible to God for. The biggest problem is that in order for there to be order and discipline and routine in our homes, our own lives must be orderly and disciplined, under control. How can we put even our babies on a schedule if we ourselves won't commit to that schedule? What it means is that we adults have to be consistent. We have to be consistent when we're tired. We have to be consistent when we're sick. We have to be consistent when there's something else we feel like we'd rather be doing. We have to be consistent no matter what, guys. Our babies and then our older children react to our consistency or our inconsistency. Either way, we're training them either to be consistent or inconsistent. Let me provide some scary numbers for you. And these are not scientific numbers, and I'm not picking on the parents of the kids in our school. It just happens to be that these are the numbers that we have access to. I wanted to bring this specifically close to home. Here at our academy, over half the students in the school have had at least one tardy so far this year. Over half. The school year is not yet half finished. Some families have 20 tardies so far. That's not an unusual case. I'm not being uh, super sensitive about it and pointing to some extreme examples because there are many others with 13, 11, 10, and at least 10 families out of about 50 have six or more tardies, and we're not even, as I said, halfway through the school year. Many of the kids in the academy have missed at least five days of school for minor sore throats and I don't feel good, those vague symptoms. Some kids have missed 15 days of school for illnesses not requiring doctor's care. You know what that is? Mom, I don't feel like going to school today. Dad, I don't want to go to school today. Yet to show it's possible to get here on time. We have two children in our school who have not been tardy in five and a half years of coming to our school. Only two. These numbers, guys, scream adult inconsistency. And the tragedy is that we're teaching our children that that's an acceptable way of life. Now, it should be noted that in that mix, there's an example of legitimate reasons, such as wrecks on highways causing a tardy. I mean, there's things that we can't do anything about. These are obviously excused. However, the majority of excuses for tardies are simply, well, we're running late. The point is children need schedules. They need to understand how important those schedules are. This is what it means to train up a child in the way they should go. Now let's talk about even more important ways to train up a child with scheduling. Moms and dads, you need to take the initiative to schedule Bible reading time as a family. It's not a suggestion from the Lord. Deuteronomy makes it a command. You also need to help your children schedule their own personal Bible study time and then enforce that they do it. Now, you can enforce that they're serious about it. You can enforce that, that they get something from it. But you know what? You can tell them you're going to sit there and, and let God speak to you. And then when they're done, you can say, tell me what you were reading. Did the Lord say anything to your heart? Pretty soon they're either going to make something up or they're going to start reading. It's your job to schedule it for you. It's your job to schedule it for them. It's your job to schedule their own prayer time. It's not enough for your kids to hear from you. Your job as a parent is to train them to develop their own relationship with Jesus. And in order for them to develop their own relationship, they have to be in the Word, and they have to be boys and girls of prayer. Unless a parent insists on Bible study and prayer time, the child won't do it. It's that simple. 
kid in my neighborhood growing up, Jerry Brown. I, I don't know what he's doing now. I just know he's successful at something. He was the only Jewish kid in the neighborhood I grew up. Every day, five days a week, he had to study Hebrew before leaving for school in the morning. Now, Hebrew wasn't part of our curriculum at school, but, but it was part of his curriculum at church. It was something his parents enforced in his home. That wasn't all. Every practice from 3.30 until 4.30, he had to stop whatever he was doing, whatever we were playing, whatever game we were involved in, and he had to go practice piano for that hour. It didn't matter what the other kids were doing. His parents didn't accept any excuse. They made him do these things. Now, uh, here's a loaded question. How many times do you wish your mom and dad would have forced you to keep with the piano lessons? I mean, I wanted to play all kinds of things, and, you know, I'd start something and stop something and start something. I wish just once my dad would have said, you know, either do it or don't do it, but if you start, you're not going to quit. I might be able to do something now. My oldest son, who cost us a fortune, he was a great tennis player and as a junior and went to college, in fact, and played tennis in college. As an adult... After squandering all of this talent and a whole bunch of my money, he said to me and Paula one day, he said, I wish you guys would have forced me to practice more. And she looked at me and I looked at her and the only decision we had to make, who's going to punch him first? <laughs> we spent a fortune on trainers. We spent a fortune on coaches. We all but screamed at him, practice, 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 and he just didn't want to hear it. He was lazy that way. And he had enough natural ability to get by and do well. Thus, he thought no need. Unless you, as a parent, insist. Now, I'm not talking about trying to make your children prodigies in your interests. I stopped a long time ago trying to make my children fulfill my dreams. Well, it wasn't that long ago, just a couple of years ago. <laughs> but unless, as adults, we instill this discipline in our children, there's going to be regret. The problem is parents. And sadly, most parents don't schedule Bible study time and prayer time. How can you insist that your child does if you don't? There's also discipline in other areas. Homework. Tell me, why is it that any Christian child is ever permitted not to finish a homework assignment? I don't understand it, guys. I don't understand it. Can you imagine standing before God and saying, well, you know, they were tired, and, or there was a TV program they wanted to watch. You're teaching your children that it's okay not to finish the assignments they're given. And what that, hap what that results in when, when they grow up and go out into the working world is they end up getting fired from jobs because they don't understand that completion is important. You have to include scheduling chores around the house. By the way, working at home won't kill your kids. And too many times we keep them so busy with other stuff that, oh, well, I, they don't have time. Now, now, I want to tell you up front, I, I'm the biggest hypocrite in this room in this area because I wanted my kids to have a childhood that wasn't like mine. So what I did is I told them they have to do work. I had enough money. I didn't need any of that stuff. So, so it's okay. Just enjoy yourselves. Enjoy your childhood. They learned that it was okay to goof off. And it wasn't necessary to discipline them. It's important to discipline your children in terms of coming to church and serving. It should never, ever be a topic of discussion in your home whether or not you're going to church on Sunday. Now, I understand there's times you're gone and things, but, but, but when you're here... Why would any parent ever allow, Christian parent ever allow, their child to hear them say, well, you know what, I'm tired, I'm not going to church today. Because what you're doing is you're teaching your child that if they don't feel like going or if they've got something more important to do, it's okay for them to blow off church too. 
That's not training a child up in the way that they should go. Guys, it's your job to get them here, and to get them here, you have to be here. This nonsense in our culture that says children should have a say-so in matters of faith, well, I don't want to cram it down their throats. That is not God's way. Your children aren't capable of making the right choices for themselves. And one day, when they're on their own, they've got to have learned how to make the right choices. Children need to be trained to bring glory to God. It's also critical for parents to make decisions that are best for your children, as I said, because your children will always make the wrong ones, even in issues that perhaps many of us don't consider all that important, things like bedtime. Bedtime is a battleground, isn't it? It should never be. There's only one boss in the house, and it's the adult. And so when I say it's bedtime, it's bedtime. Kids need sleep. You see, on the other end of that, and I'm not telling you guys anything that you don't know, on the other end of that, the kid that, that convinces you it's okay to stay up, I'll be okay, I just want to do this, it is impossible to get out of bed the next morning when it's time to go to school. And so they result in being one of the tardies. And they shouldn't be permitted to govern those kinds of decisions. Your children need a lot of sleep. Teenagers need a lot of sleep. And they need to get up, and they need breakfast in the morning. We have so many children who arrive here at school in the morning, the sleep hasn't even been washed from their eyes, and kind of going through the day because they haven't had a good breakfast, a healthy breakfast, and, and they're healthy cereals, quick things, you know that. But the idea is that these things have to be priorities. And then there's spiritual problems associated with that. If a kid comes to school late, if he doesn't look like he's bathed, if he isn't, hasn't had the benefit of a healthy breakfast, you know what else he hasn't had? He hasn't had prayer time. There's been no family devotion time. And I know you're saying, where do we find the time for all of these things? Scheduling, routine, discipline, order, and consistency, guys. I encourage you to trust God in these areas because it will change the dynamics in your home and it will ensure your children a better future when you allow your child to stay up late and by the way TVs in bedrooms are a bad idea it is impossible for your children to get up and be prepared for the day ahead it's impossible Another place where we have to schedule is in the area of priorities. This may be a little hurtful to hear, but you know what? Some of those kids who miss school or who are habitually late, they never miss a soccer practice or football practice or little league practice. Why? Well, because it's different. Well, those things are fun. And what we've got to do is teach our children that, that responsibility comes before playtime. And I love sports. You guys know that. So I'm not one of these kids that, or one of these parents that would say, oh, no, sports are of the devil. That's not the kind of thing I'm talking about. I'm talking about the balance that says these are important priorities. If you don't teach your children to keep their commitments and to do so in a timely manner, you're not raising them up in the way they should go. It all begins, as I said, when the baby comes home from the hospital and order should continue through the child's entire life. The result will be grown kids who have been trained on the right path, grown kids who are on time and reliable, kids who get promoted, kids who are successful in the world. It means that they will be examples for others to follow, and thus they will lead others to Christ. That's the whole idea. And in the process, God will get great glory. A note of warning here, and don't shoot the messenger. There are tons of books out there with formulas and ideas about scheduling or non-scheduling, because there are some who don't agree. But the problem with books and authors is they tend to get very legalistic 
And they always end up misrepresenting God in the process. But I'm going to give you the names of two books, and I'll talk to anybody privately about these books if you so desire. I don't want to be chewed out. I don't want somebody to come to me and say, well, these books work, and I don't care what you say. I want you to compare them to the Word of God. Because these books so desperately and wickedly misrepresent God's character, his nature. And the reason I'm using these two books is because both of these books are making their rounds or have made their rounds around Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. One of them three times. The books are Growing Kids God's Way by the Ezos and the book To Train a Child by a couple named the Pearls, Michael and Debbie Pearl. Guys, they're bad books. And yet we look at them and say, hey, it works. Nothing ever works if God is misrepresented in the process. And you know what? I'm not talking about minor issues. I'm talking about major issues. One other piece of counsel. Don't listen to other parents tell you what's best for your children. I know it's normal for moms and dads to get around other parents of young children and decide, well, hey, this works and this works. And and you know what? That's not bad if, in fact, the counsel is coming from the Word of God. But just because something worked for some other kid doesn't mean it's going to work for your kid. What you want to do is train them in the way of the Lord. And to do that, you need the Word of God. Now, here's the hard part of all this, except for those of you who are mad if I slammed one of your favorite books. The hard part is that most of us, I realize, aren't starting with babies. It would be great if all of a sudden everybody in here said, you know, that's right, Pastor Ron, that's what the Word of God says. We're going to start tonight, you go home, and all of your teenagers are infants. (laughs) That's not going to happen. Obviously, you can't start all over by putting your teenagers in a crib. So what do we do? And how do we do it? Well, guys, here's my suggestion. You sit them down. The first thing you do is apologize to them for misrepresenting God, for not raising them, but to be godly. At 16 and 18 years of age, I sat my children down and told them that everything I'd ever taught them was wrong. They looked at me like, well, you've got all the answers. What's right? And I said, I don't have any answers. I don't know what's right yet. I'm just new in all this, but I'll tell you as I find out. But I had to begin by apologizing to them for not doing it the right way. And then you sit down and pray with them. Explain to them that mom and dad are now committed to following the Lord, following Jesus, and that your home is not your home, it's Jesus' home, and that your kids, the kids you're talking to, belong to Him. And God has only loaned them to you for a while. And thus, you're going to start living in your house His way. They won't like it, but remember, they're not the ones who are supposed to be in control. The adults are supposed to be in control. Start right now with family Bible time. No options, they have to attend. Hey, what do you think about a family Bible time? Oh, we don't have time for that. Oh, I don't want to do that. That's corny. You know what? It doesn't matter. Don't ask them what they think about it. Tell them they'll be there. It doesn't have to be a a, a Bible study that lasts an hour. Just read the Bible. Ask them what they think about it. What's God saying to them? And what you're doing is you're demonstrating that you mean what you say. It's not just lip service anymore, that things are going to change. I had one parent many years ago tell me that he went home and he told his parents, there's a new, or his children rather, that there's a new sheriff in town. And you know what? For a year, there was great fruit coming out of that household. The children changed radically. The the marriage got better. It was great. And then they just stopped. And let's just say in the intervening five years or so, things haven't gone so well. Tell them that you've got to start doing things God's way. If your kids are teenagers and they start screaming it's not fair and they don't want to do it, some of them may be even more bold and more defiant than that. I'm not going to do it. Tell them to move out. Well, that's so harsh, I can't do that. They're not going to move out. They can't find cheaper rent than coming to a Bible study, coming to church. (laughs) 
All you got to do is tie some of this to the refrigerator. You're going to be on pretty solid ground. They need to understand. They need to understand quickly that they don't have a choice. And if that sounds unreasonable, you don't understand God. God is trying with everything he has to get to your heart. Because your children, you know, when people answer invitations, and especially as I see married couples come forward on Sundays, I, I get so excited because if they have children, it's not just their lives have changed. It means that their children now have a whole new head start in life, a whole new chance in life. And attending church, doing family Bible study, doing their homework, things that would just be expected of them in the world, well, remember, it's pretty cheap rent, as I suggested a moment ago. One other suggestion, and this is a difficult one I know, and this is another one coming from a hypocrite, is eat meals together whenever possible. Without video games, without TVs. Paul and I sat in a restaurant one day and a family came in, husband, wife, two kids. Husband pulled out a newspaper, wife pulled out a magazine, and both kids pulled out video games. And except to order the food, there wasn't another word said. And it broke my heart. So eat meals together whenever possible. No TVs, radios, phones, or video games. Conversation. Are these hard issues? Absolutely. But they're hard because change is always hard. But the truth is that routine and order has already been established in your homes. It's just the wrong routine. And all you need to do is redirect. There'll be some squawking and screaming. There'll be some pain. Anybody who's ever started a brand new exercise program knows exactly how you feel the next day after you start. It hurts. Muscles are rebelling. There'll be some noise in your home as a result of these changes. But remember, God's put you in charge. And you represent Him. And if you forget that, then it's the kids running the show and the kids aren't supposed to run the show. We'll see that in some very specific Bible verses in our study next time. Remember, guys, you are God's personal representative to your children. And if you want to know how seriously he takes the way he's represented by people he gives authority to, ask Moses. Ask Moses. Did he pay a steep price for misrepresenting God? after 40 years of wonderful, faithful service. Give your kids to God in the process. Give your own hearts to God. Be more consistent. And watch what God will do. It only takes little steps to begin the process of big blessings from the Lord. It's what He desires to do with all of His heart. Thank you for joining us for today's program in the Parenting Series from Pastor Ron Arbaugh and the Word to Stand On for Life.